Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome into episode 60 of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me, as always, is the good brother, TF Joker. Joker, what's crack, man? What's going on? Oh, uh, you know, last week I was still feeling pretty blah, blah, blah but um, this week I'm feeling a little bit more human, so, you know, things are on the up, PT, things are on the up. Thankfully, I, I may still sound a little bit nasally, but um, I mean, I can't have it. I can't have it a hundred percent. Apparently, I'm not allowed to be a fully functioning person anymore. It's always good to be a more human than human. Rob Zombie, white zombie reference. If you get it, you get it. Yeah, man, it's one of those like we talked about. It is full fledged summer, hot diggity, man. Uh, it's been hot this week over by me. We're still in the one teens. It was about 111 for me when I was running errands the other day. It was so hot, sweet, jumping, Jack Flash. It's ridiculous. It's only about, you know, 95 or uh, about 100 degrees at midnight over by us, so it's still ridiculous. You know, there's a lot of pollen and stuff. So lots of things going on, heat trying to stay cool, some allergy things. I totally understand. It's not uncommon for people to get a cold or catch a, a relatively innocent sickness in the summertime, so I feel you, man. I just wish I knew what it was. Like, one minute, I can't breathe. One minute, I'm coughing a lung up. One minute, I've gone deaf in one ear. And another minute, you know, I everything is just sore all over. It's like, Okay, do you want to pick on being a flu or having hay fever or, you know, anything in between? My body just didn't know how it wanted to self-destruct, really, PT. That's all it was. Um, uh, I, I failed to find the warranty. Can't return it past its warranty, so I have to try and fix it as best I can. Applied myself up with a lot of paracetamol. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's back on track, and... Um, I don't think it would have survived uh, one teens Fahrenheit, uh, whatever, you know, in Arizona. Definitely not. I've seen some temperatures from over there. And uh, y'all can keep that stuff over there. I'm happy enough with, you know, the high 20C over here. Whenever we get that, I'm fine with that. Uh, even though I'll complain about it to no end. Um, but we're finally having all the rain. And uh, I want you to actually hear that. All the rain. Any rain that you had in your countries? It's actually coming to us. We we are experiencing all the rain now. So uh, I, lo I love global warming and, you know, all the different climates that I get to experience within a month. I'm pretty sure we had hail the other day. If I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the folks in our community is from the UK, and I think they sent a, a photo of, like, it hailing within the last week or two weeks. So absolutely. The weather has been quite all over the place. Once again, for me, it was about 111 Fahrenheit. I know for you over there, when it starts to get into 30C, 35C, if it gets over 40C, it's certainly hot. And you've mentioned it in previous episodes that your structures over there really aren't built for the extreme heat that I might experience over here in the States. So heat, rain allergies it's a lot of things going on so glad you're feeling better folks hopefully can stay cool 
stay healthy, stay hydrated, stay away from pollens and allergens and everything that's going on to keep yourself together. Join us on this ride this week as we get into some crazy things that happened in the world of wrestling. Joker and fans, please take care of yourself and stay well. All right, thank you for coming along with us. As a reminder, you can find us in a video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil and an audio form wherever you get your podcasts from. On this week's episode, we look at Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar 3, set for SummerSlam. Dominic Mysterio wins the NXT North American Championship. AEW, Blood and Guts. And a quick look at week one of the G1 Climax. So, coming up first. Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar 3, set for SummerSlam. On this week's episode of Monday Night Raw, the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes makes his entrance and gets on the mic. Cody asks what his home of Atlanta wants to talk about before saying they don't really have to talk with a large shadow looming over the arena tonight. Of course, Cody means Brock Lesnar. And there's one thing for sure, and that's when Brock is called to the ring, he shows up. So Brock should be coming to the ring to accept his challenge right now. Cody will wait here all night if he has to, but after a moment of posturing, Cody moves on to tell us that this isn't just the city that built him, but the woman that built him is in the front row. The camera shows Michelle Rhodes, Cody's mother, and Cody says there's a reason his catchphrase isn't funky like a monkey, and that's because his mother made him who he is. There's two words to describe Cody's relationship with Brock, and only two words he can think of are hard times. But that's okay, because tonight it won't be hard times for him, not in front of his people, it'll be hard times for Lesnar. Cody hops to the floor and hugs his mom and family who are present. When Brock Lesnar's music plays, but it goes silent when Cody walks to the ramp to confront him. Cody starts walking to the stage and Brock's music hits again. This time, Cody strides right back into the entry towards Gorilla, that infamous Cody power walk. The chair comes flying onto the stage, followed by Cody's body and a raging Brock Lesnar walloping Cody with a chair over and over. Brock drops Cody with an F5 in front of his mom. Brock puts Cody in the Kamor lock and wrenches it in. Brock then throws Cody back in the ring, stands over him to accept his challenge, and tells Cody he'll see him at SummerSlam. Later on, we see the match made official as Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar 3 is set for SummerSlam. Joker, it's not uncommon for WWE to have a rivalry go three matches. This is a tradition that dates back well over 20 years, featured heavily in the early 2000s and beyond. Most of the time, it allows each man to get a victory and decide a winner in the third match. Does having a third match between Brock and Cody currently make sense? Yes, because 
the summer of Brock is almost over. Brock has got to go into hibernation soon. Um, so that we can use him then coming into the new year. So what happens is that we'll have Brock for a couple of months during the year, and then we'll be lucky to use him maybe August, September, at a stretch October, but like that's really pushing it. And then October, November, December, that's his like sort of hibernation years, whereas you have like years, months. Um, and then June is his like his summer holiday, which is why we didn't have anything with him last month. So the, these are the sort of the the habits of the beast. Um, so we got to use them for something, and getting this third match out of them is uh, is pretty much what we need. It's just I don't know if we're going to get three matches out of this PT. I don't know if that that's what's actually going to happen here is we have a little bit of a stretch between now and uh, the future of what we think is going to happen for Mr. Cody Rhodes. Um, you know me, I'm the, fa- I'm the fantasy booker. I have things already lined up in my head about what's going to happen between these two. But I, I, I don't know what's going to be in the head of uh, Paul Levesque, Mr. Papa H because he could just see money at this and be like, oh yeah, cool, it's, it's still happening. And we could get a best of five, at which point I'll be sad. That's an interesting notion that you brought up, and you used the term hibernation for Brock upcoming. Brock's worked a lot of dates, brother. The first half of the year, if I'm not mistaken, through Money in the Bank, he worked almost every, if not every, pay-per-view, which is very unusual for Brock. He worked a lot of pay-per-views for the first yeah, half yeah. of the year. And we get ahead and missed one here to give him a little time to recover. Everybody needs that time off, of course. But we get this match here made official at SummerSlam. And this, of course, like we'd mentioned, they are split one and one at the moment. This is the third match. You alluded to it a little bit before that you are worried that this may not be the last match here. Always interesting when we have Brock have featured, you know, he's a big deal. He's an attraction of sorts and has been used as an attraction since his return in 2012 for a lot of those times, a part-time basis. So he's not there every week does go on stretches where he's there but does have stretches when he's away. But to further elaborate on your point of you're worried that this may not be the last of it, potentially, I was thinking to myself, and it really comes down to the tough question of who wins, right? So does Cody win over Brock, right? Because if we remember how this rivalry started, the night after WrestleMania, Brock attacked Cody Brock had to go on first on night two, and Cody main evented. So surely, Brock will want to avenge a potential loss in a third match. But the other side of the coin, right? If Brock wins over Cody, Cody's a prideful man, and this has to get revenge on Brock. So we're stuck in this perpetual rematch loop of each man needing slash wanting a win. It's going to drive both you and I crazy. Mm-hmm. There's there's a couple of things. Um, I'm going to introduce a strange concept that WWE fans 
may not understand. Um, it is a foreign concept. It's called logic. Um, and logic dictates that Cody being the permanent, uh, the permanent superstar, you know, the guy who's constantly on TV, the full time, the full time guy. Um, he's a permanent fixture, though. You know, that's that's more what it is. Um, he should get the win because it makes sense. It matters to that person. They actually hold the accolade of beating the part time. Not very much there, infrequently used in past years. Brock Lesnar, who over the past decade or so has been built up to be a complete monster. Hence his uh, moniker, the Beast Incarnate, etc., etc., etc. Most decorated combat athlete. Whatever you want to call him, the man is an absolute unit. But he is the bad guy. And you beat the bad guy at the peak of his power. The peak of his power being when he is healthy and when he is strong and when he is possibly undefeatable. That is pretty much every time Brock Lesnar gets into the dying ring. So whenever you have this man in a best of three series, you best believe it should go to Cody to, to turn a phrase, to finish the story. Because that's the way it needs to be. You do not make a top baby face by having the bad guy be at their weakest just so the baby face can win. I'm looking at you, WrestleMania, and only now having Roman Reigns be weakened and then possibly down the line be a weakened champion. It's a terrible story. Sucks to be you. But this one, we have Brock Lesnar. He's always strong. He's always on his game. It means so much for the next step, even though people might not think he doesn't need it. Cody needs this. Because otherwise, what has Cody achieved? I love Cody. Cody's my guy. I am a Cody fan. But otherwise, what has he achieved since coming back? To the Fed. He's had a string of good matches with Seth Rollins, gotten involved with the Bloodline, failed there, and now he's involved with the Beast Incarnate. Yes, there's been little sprinklings of, of insignificant matches uh, along the way, but these are the three main accolades Cody has. So, in order to build him up, after the fiasco that was the booking of WrestleMania, let's face it, we need Cody to win this. And as you said, he's a prideful man, so if he lost, that is where the booking would take us. The booking would take us to the point of no return where it's a best of five. If Cody loses, we're going best of five, PT. If Cody wins, we have the logical booking scenario of Cody thinks he's going to go into the Royal Rumble and, you know, fight through however many other people. Well, who returns at number 27 or so? Well, it's Brock Blumen' Lesnar, isn't it? Cody's still in there. Hasn't been seen since being beat by Cody the previous year at Summers, SummerSlam. 
whoa, Brock just makes a beeline for him, completely destroys him and eliminates him. Then you can, you know, do whatever you need to do with that there. Spice things up. But that's how it logically should be. That won't happen. We're getting the best of five. I'm going to be sad. Quite intriguing for sure. Yeah, Cody's return to WWE, like is like you said, has been marked with an interesting road. Just to reiterate what you said, strong matches with Seth, the injury out for a while, strong recovery with the win at Royal Rumble, did not win at Mania, now this match and series with Brock. It's been interesting in the fact, and you alluded to it as well, this notion of finishing the story. We all want a triumphant hero slash babyface to beat a bad guy or win. When the chips are down for the babyface and they can overcome a strong opponent, and if it feels like a bad guy is weakened, then it doesn't feel as good one of those weird type of things i get what you're saying so yeah it's we need strong opponents for a baby face much like uh we had and it makes me think of the nwo booking when goldberg was a champion they wanted to have strong bad guys for the big baby face to conquer because if he's just beaten weakened opponents or just regular guys then how does it matter how does that Rain understand so I completely understand where you're going with that and yeah it's one of those deals where it's scary that it can go either way like it doesn't make you think like oh this one guy is definitely going to win because we are kind of going with oddball booking this year if you're thinking about kind of bigger or longer stories that most folks would consider but at the end of the day yeah if Cody ends up winning. I can see this kind of what you mentioned. They'll separate, maybe touch base in the Rumble. But if Brock wins, man, Cody's going to want that win back. So here we go again. Recycle, wash, rinse, repeat. So I don't know. So you thinking at the end of the day, what what are your thoughts? Who you see going to come out with the victory here at SummerSlam? Personally, for me, it makes sense for it to be Cody. Um, he is the inevitable end to this saga of matches. Um, I don't think that we need any more, uh, matches than this. Um, the, the promos have been fine. Like they've been fair to middling, but they kind of keep rehashing stuff more. So it's, Kind of Cody rehashing the stuff because he has the more mic time. Because really, all you need for uh, Brock to do, in, instead of being Cowboy Brock, he just comes out and is the Beast Incarnate. So, um, yeah, to me, it just feels like it has to be Cody. That's a fair play, and you just even alluded to it, and that's my fear of things getting stale. Folks are going to be like, "Oh, if there's a, if there's a fourth match, right?" And it's like, "Oh man, like this is dragging on." And we don't want folks to get that. We want them to stay engaged with the story and feel like things are staying fresh and not getting stale. So we don't want them to turn on a, uh, a Cody potentially. But I have one last question for you in the hypothetical situation. 
that the feud ends at SummerSlam, and I'm saying this half sarcastically. What do you think is next for Cody? What do you think is next for Brock after SummerSlam? If it is indeed ending at that pay-per-view. Cody wins. Brock goes into hibernation. We don't see Brock until Royal Rumble. That is my prediction for Brock. Uh, I think that we don't need him in any capacity right now. Um, I'm sure he's on a super good contract and he's making all the millions of dollars that he needs to be making. And this has been a banner year for his career. Like he has had um, such good interactions with fans and such good matches. Um, It's been a special year for him. But it's been one of those blips on the radar, if you know what I mean. It, it, it's, it's sort of unheard of for Brock to do this much work. Um, so yeah, bye-bye, Brock. Um, Cody then will probably set off to finish the story yet again and hit another roadblock. He's probably going to hit another roadblock and get into a trifecta of matches with somebody else. Uh, just before we can get ourselves situated for um, the Royal Rumble. My personal opinion is that we set him up against Jonah. Jonah would be a big, big beefy boy. Uh, another roadblock, if you wheel, um, that we can see him, you know, clash against. And uh, it would also give him a little bit more uh, of a shine. Uh, Jonah, this is uh from from cody i think that'll be super good um i don't see anyone else kind of bringing that adversity to cody and i feel like that is what is going to mark cody's reign on or cody's run until he gets a reign with the title um that he has to be seen to face against adversary uh, adversity see these um big guys uh these overpowering strength guys um, so that he can just kind of get beaten, take a win, and then you know, hopefully win the series, that kind of thing. Um, I think that that's kind of where I stand on what I think should happen with Cody, at least. For those that are might be having a question, Big Jonah on the Independent and New Japan is Bronson Reed in WWE, just as a quick head. Sorry. I forgot. I forgot he changed his name again. <laughs> I keep. I keep reading Bronson Reed, but in my head it's Jonah. Like it's just Jonah. Not a problem. I was just clarifying for folks that are like Jonah as they're flipping through pages or trying to Google search. Yeah, it, that would be Bronson Reed. So just as a heads up, I'm not mad at that. I think if this is indeed uh, coming to a curtail at SummerSlam, I'm thinking of Cody. Let's hold off on the Seth Rollins thing because we did three matches at that and maybe hold off on the World Heavyweight Championship. We need something sort of for the back half of the year. Let's hold off on Judgment Day because they're hot. WWE's pushing them. We had one off match with uh, Dom Dom, but we want to still keep Finn and Damian and Dom strong. So maybe hold off on that. I was trying to think of like folks on the roster. Yeah, if, if maybe we do a program with Jonah slash Bronson to read, I wouldn't be kind of mad. It would give uh, Cody a monster heel to work with and help elevate Bronson Reed slash Jonah's stock, so I'm not mad. Yeah, I just think let's hold off on challenging for the World Heavyweight Championship. Let's hold off on a Judgment Day thing for now. 
let's maybe have uh, maybe a, a good solid opponent or maybe two kind of mini feuds to round out the year and then into the Royal Rumble season. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good with that. I'm not mad at that uh, Bronson Reed slash Jonah deal. Good, uh, good guess. I, I'd, I'd be happy with a big Bronson Reed Jonah deal. Uh, I love, I love him. I think he's, he's fantastic, and he needs a push. Uh, you can't, you cannot push too many people. Um, and I know that there's an awful lot of people that are in love with some people on the SmackDown roster. For me, the Raw roster only has a couple of people that I'm interested in, and Bronson Reed is one of them. Um, like as soon as he finished in New Japan and he started in WWE, I was like, even though yes, I know he was in NXT before, you know, and he went blah blah. blah. Neglect that. Whenever he came back to the WWE, I was super happy to see him, and I was like, yes, let's get a push on this big monster man. This is going to be so good. Can't wait to see him fight people like. Bobby Lashers, amazing, and uh, Biggie, like oh god, the matches that those two could have. Um, there's, there's all, all your flippy guys as well, like Ricochet. Love to see him against Ricochet. Love to see him against Santos Escobar, of course, SmackDown uh, superstars. But you know, you cannot push this guy enough, and I think Cody is one of the guys to help him. And I think uh, Bronson's probably going to be good help for, for Cody, too. All right, when you can elevate two guys and hopefully if they can work well together, then it's a net positive all around. All right, so with that, those were our thoughts on Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar's matchup, the third match set for SummerSlam. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and let us know what your thoughts are on the third matchup here and if this does indeed end at SummerSlam who Cody Rhodes might face next all right next topic here Dominic Mysterio wins the NXT North American Championship an interesting shocking title win came on this past week's episode of NXT in the main event of said show Bench of the match sees Dominic grab the title and try to walk away. Suzai Dive from Wesley stops Dominic in his tracks. Back inside the ring, a spiral tap on Dom. Finn Balor and Damian Priest run interference, and Lee takes Priest out with a cardiac kick. Rhea clocks Lee with her Women's World Championship, and Dom takes advantage by scoring the pinfall with a lateral press to become the new NXT North American champion. The Judgment Day. Celebrate. Joker. Not many people saw this coming at all. I was one of those people because I didn't watch NXT. Because I don't watch NXT. Uh, yeah, this is one of those things that you see dom dom and you're like okay cool yeah uh that he's clearly not gonna happen and i mean who he beat wesley uh wesley has been um on fire 269 day reign he has been an absolute unit uh with i think he has some of the highest um defenses uh of that uh, of that title uh and people are just absolutely fawning all over this kid 
Uh, I can't, I can't say that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I love his stuff. Again, self-professed, I don't watch NXT. Um, but yeah, Dom Dom getting a title. That is strange. Quite intriguing. Over the past couple of episodes, we've looped in Judgment Day in varying degrees of conversation. And right now, WWE is pushing that faction hard with all the members getting a lot of television time, having working a lot of matches, just getting push skis. So we definitely see something within that faction itself. And as a side here, taking nothing away from Wesley, he's been a phenomenal champion. In NXT with that North American title. This was more of a Judgment Day push than it was for a punishing or stifling a Wesley. Whatever is going to happen next for him is just going to be really strong, whether that's in NXT or whether that's on a Raw or SmackDown. But one side note here, Lee with an impressive, like you said, 269-day reign as NXT North American champion with... 19 successful title defenses with the longest single reign as well. So, kid's got such an impressive offense. He's a great baby face fire. He's going to be fantastic, whatever he does next. So, 100% on that. But with Dom winning the North American championship there in NXT, that leaves Finn Balor as the only member of Judgment Day without an accolade at the moment. Of course, Rhea Ripley holding the WWE Women's World Championship and Damian Priest as Mr. Money in the Bank. Finn is naturally set to face Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam. I pulled a quick quote from Seth Rollins, who appeared on Logan Paul's Impulsive podcast and stated that he's been banged up. Quote, My knee's been bugging me since before WrestleMania. I was having issues with that, my neck acting up, my lower back has been at me since 2019. Probably should get some surgery on that, but trying to just do whatever I can to make sure I don't need it, as I have a couple of stress fractures back there. So with that match with Finn and Seth upcoming at SummerSlam, once again, Joker, does this possibly foreshadow Finn winning the World Heavyweight Championship? That interview, mate. But I mean, I wanted Finn to win the last match. So I mean, you know, it's a case of we we can't have everything here. You know what I mean? We had a match at Money in the Bank, and now we have to have the rematch. Unfortunately, it also might mean we need a third match at some point. Um. But hey, you know, logic dictates PT. You know, all these all these logical fallacies within WWE means logic doesn't exist. Um, just off of the information from the Impulsive podcast, uh, I, I do believe that um, we're getting uh, reasons, uh, not excuses, as to why we should give the title to Finn. Um maybe possibly this the rematch is as a result of the match in money in the bank because sometimes it doesn't sometimes we don't always have to push people back into the the same title picture 
And it felt like Finn was just kind of pushed in because we needed another match for Seth because we hadn't built anything else up around this. And SummerSlam was coming really quickly. So maybe this uh, is going to give some time off to Seth, which I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to see. Seth going away, um, taking some time off. It's now July, seventh month. We're talking August, October, uh, September, October, November, December, until the end of January, six-month leave time until the end of uh, January for the Royal Rumble, which I believe is on the 28th, uh, maybe 27th. And it's one of those things that he could have that really long off time to then come back at the Rumble and win the Rumble. Which would be fantastic if he has if he needs surgery on a back thing that's even longer. Screw that. But if he just needs some time off, giving him six months off to deal with whatever he needs to deal with, then you know, fair enough, that'd be great. And it would also lead into the fact that we have Finn Balor, like you said, in need of a title in this golden uh, sort of. Uh, bejeweled stable right now. You have Senor Money in the Bank. You have Dirty Dom being the North American champion, Rhea being Mommy and the the women's champion, and then Finn Balor. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely something that I, I foresee slash really want to happen. Uh, Finn Balor beating Seth. You mentioned a couple of really good points there, and the first of which was goes back to our first topic here about the rule of three. Happens a lot in storytelling. Getting that third match with Brock Lesnar and Cody. I wouldn't be surprised in some shape or form that we might get a third championship match between a Seth and a Finn. It's definitely a possibility. Wouldn't put it past WWE. They definitely like that rule of three. So that's something in the back of your mind. Something else that you have mentioned in previous episodes as well in your storytelling, in your drive to figure out matches, and uh, notably the fantasy booker here at Kayfabe Council, is when you plant seeds of doubt, something that you really enjoy. If something is definitely not a given, a guarantee, if it's not a throwaway, just me even mentioning this quote from Seth about he's been banged up from here, uh, from his recent podcast appearance. The fact that whether it's real or if it's kayfabe or what have you, the fact that it's just subtly planted, that it may plant seeds of doubt within a match. It's not like, oh yeah, Seth's going to win. We need him to hold the championship longer or something like that. No, like this, even subtly, plants a little bit of seeds of doubt which is always good because you definitely don't want a runaway to have uh, all the odds in someone's favor in terms of a matchup. But if that ends up coming away with a possible Finn win, looks good for the Judgment Day. Everybody's looking super strong. Everybody has an accolade or a title. Also harkens back, we can revisit subtly the... Damien Priest, Money in the Bank, now that a stablemate holds a world title, so you could potentially do something like that. We've mentioned numerous times, if these guys and these gals are banged up, we definitely want Seth to heal, so if, you know, if he just needs some time off, you know, 
hopefully that is at the end of his reign whenever that comes and we can have a strong person in there and the the quick aside of the other piece you mentioned Finn is always a strong worker uh Papa H is a big fan of his of course from dating back his time in NXT but he can be a plug and play where you can put him into a title uh, picture, whether that is a title at any level. But yeah, we didn't really build up anybody else in the interim after that money in the bank or even kind of before or slightly after. So it almost made sense for Finn to challenge again. And with that, if Seth retains and we don't have the next Raw even just alluding to somebody walking out or a backstage where they come face to face with Seth and like, I'm looking at you kid type of thing, then it's probably going to be a Finn. So there's a lot of different ways we can go. But with that, I think it's, I think it's a strong, going to be another amazing matchup between the two men. There's seeds of doubt. There's potential storylines, whoever wins. It's not a bad thing to go with when you can kind of have an almost half win-win situation with either person winning either way. Doubt breeds intrigue. Intrigue sells pay-per-views. If you can if you can guarantee that you know somebody is gonna hold on to their title, then who wants to buy that? I'm not gonna buy that. I'll just watch highlights. Legitimately don't care. So yeah, like, like you, know, as you rightly said, I have always kind of said that if, if we don't have this doubt, then I really don't understand how there's meant to be intrigue for a match. Uh, it's the same whenever you see like a Charlotte Flair match. And like, well, Charlotte Flair is clearly going to win that match or be a prominent figure in that match. Um, the Roman Reigns is like, oh, well, you know, there's going to be a ref bump and then Roman's going to win. I mean, that's been the case for three years now, so I, I really don't enjoy Roman Reigns' matches. Like, oh no, he, he's the tribal chief. No, he's a waste of space. Um, so it's one of those that you, you really do have to introduce doubt, and Seth has done it in the best possible way. Subtle storytelling, whether it's a kayfabe, whether it's a shoot ski, whether it's a work shoot, whether it's a shoot work, never a bad thing to work fans work the marks it's all good it creates intrigue much like you said which helps get people interested either way all right uh one last note here on this topic uh, to circle back to dom with dominic winning that nxt championship does dominic hold on to the actual title we saw dom defend this championship against pete dunn on smackdown Winning due to interference from Rhea Ripley. Uh, Joker, this makes me think of when Solo Sokoa won the championship after already arriving on SmackDown to be a part of the bloodline. He, however, only surrendered the championship after seven days. So do you think this could actually be a title reign for Dom? Or do we maybe see it going the way of a repeat booking, much like a solo Sokoa did, surrendering it? In my in my opinion, because he is not an NXT NXT mainstay, he should have to vacate this title. He's kind of not 
there all the time but they've changed the way they do things uh they've been throwing main event kind of stars down the nxt this that and the other now the one difference between this uh this match and the solo sokoa um reign the the dom reign and the solo sokoa reign rather is solo sokoa replaced wesley in a match that he was supposed to uh, partake in at short notice and it wasn't cleared by management says hbk and then he went in and he won that match but then six well seven days later the title being officially uh recognizes six days on solo sakura for those of you interested um solo had to had to relinquish it so this being an actual match dom partook in where he was meant to be there and was legitimately supposed to be doing this. I feel like that's the kicker. And I know we talked about it because I kind of feel personally that Dom should not hold on to this title. But we do have that previous sort of uh that sort of uh MacGuffin to to kind of hang on to for uh for the solo thing. The good news for those of you who don't like Dirty Dom, is the Dragon Lee not an actual relation to Wesley? Um, you know, but you know, you might have been forgiven if you saw them on SmackDown. <laughs> they just kind of paraded them around like, you know, this is Wesley and Dragon Lee, you know, the, the more, you know, whatever. Um, Dragon Lee has been given permission to beat the tar out of Dirty Dom by Rey Mysterio and take the North American Championship. So, we will find out on Tuesday. I might actually watch this week um, to see if we have uh, Dirty Tom retaining, which, no doubt, Mommy will make sure he does. But uh, I'll be interested, nonetheless, to see Dragon Lee uh, win that title um, because he and Wesley have been friendly, so it'll be, be nice to see. Wesley and Dragon Lee, of course, being cousins, distant cousins, for those that aren't aware, kayfabe brother. But looks like WWE already did their job, because Joker, as you just admitted, you'd be intrigued or potentially be interested in watching NXT based off of a storyline paired with a Raw or SmackDown person. So something about it is working. I think it's a positive. But you hit it right on the head. The circumstances with Solo Sokoa and the circumstances with Dom, you so eloquently put, are different. So I could see Dom not having to surrender because it's the indifferent situation there. But yeah, and with the whole thing of WWE pushing the Judgment Day really hard and strong, it would make sense to have a almost turnover or a quick just title reign for Dom. So even though he's a super bad guy or just gets the, the heat skis. But yeah, I can I can see him not having to surrender it. So actually a very good point. But yeah, we'll see kind of what's going to happen going forward with Dom. Definitely more shenanigans over on the side there in Dom's matches. And we'll see how things play out, hopefully, for Finn Balor too. But those were our thoughts on... Dominic Mysterio winning the NXT Championship. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are. 
on Dom Dom winning the belt. If Finn Balor is going to potentially have a strong match or maybe come away with the title at SummerSlam. And what may be next for the Judgment Day? Let us know your thoughts down below. All right, the next topic here. Big old match on Dynamite, of course. Blood and Guts. Oh, boy. Crazy, crazy match. This was an intense match and ran the guts of the second hour of Dynamite. I'll just include some of the highlights here because doing a potential even half play-by-play -play of this would just be a full episode by itself. So I just cherry-picked some things here of note. Uh, things began to escalate when Moxley enters fifth and begins attacking Kenny Omega and Hangman Page with a fork. Mox grabs a bucket from underneath the ring and dumps out broken glass. Nick Jackson is then out sixth, hits a Frankensteiner on Claudio Casagnoli into said glass. Mox cuts Nick off and puts a handful of glass on Jackson's chest, proceeds to stomp and grind that in. And he tries to save his teammate, but Claudio cuts him off subsequently, and Omega gets suplexed into that glass. So we're already getting into it. Uh, moving forward a little bit in the match, Moxley pulls out a bed of nails from under the ring. He leans in and puts that bed onto the turnbuckles in the corner. Kenny desperately avoiding getting thrown into it, blocking with a foot. Back elbows John, but Moxley shotgun drop kicks Kenny into the bed of nails. The bed catching Kenny on the arm as it fell to the ring mat. Then, of course, Mox, like a crazy man, scoops Kenny up and slams him onto the nails for good measure. <sighs> Alright, a little bit further down, Kota Ibushi is out 10th. Kota, of course, cool and collected, shrugging off an attack from Wheeler Utah on the ramp, steadily walking into the ring while Mox stands on Kenny's hand, grinding that into the nails. Kota and John square up, but Pac and Claudio come over to help, but both of those men get caught off by a double Pele kick from Kota Ibushi. Then a knee puts Moxley into the nails. Kota, like a crazy man, then moonsaults onto John, onto the nails. So it just keeps getting better and better. Matt Jackson and Yuta were fighting on the top of the cage. After some back and forth, Yuta ends up climbing down to help his teammates, but Matt dumps a bag of thumbtacks into the ring on top of the roof again. Matt, still on top of the cage, just dumps tacks into the ring as it rains down. Of course, there's a couple spots where guys get thrown into the tacks. We then see Nick Jackson laid on a table positioned between the rings, but Pac scales to the top of the cage and drops himself double foot stomp style and hits Nick and puts him through that table in between of the rings. God. All right, further down, Omega is in the corner and the BCC are teeing off on him one by one. And then Kenny ends up passing Pac into the corner. But we see a little bit of friendly fire as Claudio Castagnoli uppercuts the bastard. Pac gets angry confronting Claudio. Moxley tries to play Peacemaker, but Pac's not having anything of it. Pac flipping birds, 
and he just decides to leave, going under the ring for a pair of bolt cutters to clip the lock and leave the cage. Towards the end, we see Parade of Finishers as Omega hits a V-trigger on Claudio, Dragon suplexes on Moxley and Takeshita, Page getting set up for a buckshot, and he takes Claudio out. Kenny clips Yuta with a V-trigger. Moxley ends up getting handcuffed to the ropes in between the rings. Wheeler is now bleeding from all the punishment he's taking at this point in the match. So Don Callis, seeing that things aren't going well, calls Kanosuke out, and they both leave the arena. So leaving the DCC team down five to three members. The finish sees Matt with a shoe laced with tacks, grinds Yuta's face into it. Hangman chokes Yuta with a obscenely large chain, and Mox, who's handcuffed, between the rings to the rope submits for Yuta, and it's over as the Golden Elite win by surrender to save Wheeler Yuta. Joker, of the three Blood and Guts matches that we've seen so far, is this the most intense we've seen? Um, I honestly don't know. It would be a hard-pressed one to kind of pick which one was more violent between this one and the last one with the JAS and the BCC. I kind of think that both of them um, had that sort of violence that I'm going to do anything to beat the tar out of you. So I think that one's subjective, really. Um, this one did have a lot of uh violence from the glass uh which i for some reason i always fear glass more than i do like thumbtacks and stuff glass seems more volatile um and you can always get like the little chunks of glass that are maybe pyramid shaped like because of the they've been broken they can just wedge into the back and you're like oh crap um i just don't know i feel like the glass just so, so whenever you seen uh, Nick wasn't getting the glass ground into his chest, like oh, I felt for the man, I was like, oh no! Anybody getting suplexed into it? I think Kenny Snapdragon Park into it, which I just, I just kind of cringed at that one. Um, but I think the the worst sort of thing that uh, that I saw um, was the bed and eels, like. The bed of nails is one of those things that you look at and you go, okay, so it's gimmicked. How is it gimmicked? It's probably like blunted or something like this here. Okay, cool. Ah, bro, you looked at that thing and they were all they they were all pretty they were all pretty sharp. Not like you know, okay, I'm gonna you know hammer this crap into your into your drywall or something, but I don't think you could get away with not getting hurt. So whenever Kenny got drop kicked into that, and then the, it fell on the arm. I was like, "Oh no, the back of the arm is so tender. That probably stung." And then Coda doing the moonsault, like no shot, man. As you saw, Coda grab both his wrists because whatever way he landed, his wrists landed at the front, so he clearly hit them. I was like, "Oh no, that." And then the tops of the thighs probably hit. Oh, the bed of nails, man. Bed of nails. Go away. John Moxley, you're a freaking psychopath. 
I was literally about to ask if there was something that kind of stood out or was a little bit of cringe, but yeah, that bed of nails, it's not something that a lot of folks have seen. If you're uh, knowledgeable, depending on if you're a tape trader from a little bit back in the day, uh, some FMW from the 90s and the King of Death matches from the likes of the Terry Funks and the Cactus Jacks. And uh, yeah, it's one of those where... A lot of folks maybe have not seen something like that. Uh, a lot of folks are mentioning like the fork spots are always type of thing. It was interesting timing that we had ended up having the Abdullah the Butcher piece on the dark side of the ring from Vice, the documentary released the uh, this past week as well. So whether or not that's an actual homage to Abdullah, you can uh, take it or leave it. But yeah, one of those, the bed of nails piece, the um, attacks are always just rough looking. And it's not like you can really like gimmick a bunch of attacks like, you know, when you talked about kind of like maybe bending the ends or things like that, whether you can't, you're getting, you know, hundreds of them in a, in a package mm. or in a sack like that, you're not going to be able to do all that, brother. Mm -hmm. So when you see them, these are like pock marks on guys' back and the arms. Uh, yeah, I mean, folks, it's it's not something like that. And we talked about glass. So those were the kind of biggest things. Uh, we didn't we didn't tend to escalate because this was broadcast television. We didn't go with fire. We didn't go with things like that. The old Terry Funk ECW branding iron. We didn't see things like that. So we decided to essentially have it up kind of to a point. So probably the the bed of nails and the and the glass maybe are sort of those those tipping points. But yeah. Lots of lots of rough looking spots. Lots of guys. Uh, you know, we got we got some good color. Mox, Mox at one point, right? I think it was, you know, maybe five or six minutes after he got in. You know, he had I think just the the mark, uh, sort of on the sort of left side of his forehead. A couple minutes later, you're just like the camera pans back. They're in like the the one closest to the entry ramp. I think they just called it ring one. Uh, yeah, he was like, what happened, man? Like, you were just getting crazy color. Uh, 10 or 15 minutes later, there was a spot maybe after the, the bed of nails one, and maybe he was just laying down, and it was running down his back. Like, Mox earned that paycheck this week, uh, giving violence and receiving violence. So kudos to him on that. Yeah, uh, last week we talked about stuff that was banned and stuff that was restricted on AEW television, and I, I I distinctly remember saying that a lot, a, lot, a lot of this is targeted at Mox, but none of that said anything about a bed and kneels, so he didn't have to get permission to that. He just rocked up to the ring and was like, sticking this under the ring for later, okay, boys? And you got permission for that? Don't need it. It's not on the list. Um, But yeah, that man just got pure color. The, I don't know if it's... Uh, is it technically the easy way now? Just because if you breathe in Mox's direction, he he bleeds, um, or he bleeds. It's just one of those things that he had so much vim and vigor in that match, and him and Kenny and Yuda at the end. Oh dear, poor Yuda. Um, you're not writing BCC on your chest this time, Bucko, are you? Um. Yeah, there was a lot of color in this match, uh, and it was it was very violent. It was, um, but I mean, there was a lot of wrestling tough guys in there that uh, were showing how tough they could be, 
Uh, and, and honestly, this was super good for Wheeler Yuta, but it was also super good for Konosuke Takeshita and Pac. Like, let's face it, whenever they announced the fact that Pac was going to take on Claudio Castagnoli for the Ring of Honor World Championship at Death Before Dishonor, um, they already introduced that tenuous sort of uh, relationship. It always seems to be Claudio. Uh, you know, Eddie Kingston before, and now it's Pac, you know. Um, it's always got to be Claudio. Um, so seeing Wheeler and Kanosuke in this match, you know, all veterans of the trade in this match. And the reason I say Pac as well is because a lot of people, I feel, are still underrating Pac. And yes, he's been out with an injury, broken face, um, whatever. But you and I have espoused our love for Pac as well. And it's just a case of this man needed this match to elevate himself. Uh, and he did that. Like, the Spider-Man climb, you know, the the that I was just I don't know what it was with the camera angles in this in this match, but they were awful. So I missed an awful lot of stuff, mainly because cameras were like swapping in between uh in between angles. Maybe it was because the, the violence was too fast paced, or maybe it was just because whoever was doing the production was just really, really bad at their job. But um seeing Pac do the things he did and sell the way he sells. I loved it, and it was so good to see him back in the ring, and it was just all round amazing for him as well. A couple things you touched on, I'll try to just cherry pick them there. The notion of Moxley bleeding, I love that Excalibur jokingly said, it's a day that ends in Y. I remember that during the commentary, yeah. like, yeah, Mox is going to get some color. Um, so I appreciate everybody is, uh, is running with that. Uh, the notion of Claudio... Uh, having a little heat ski, it was with Eddie Kingston, now it's with Pac. Are you saying Claudio can't be trusted? Claudio is the problem, okay? Claudio Casagnoli is the problem. <laughs> Fair play. The The other piece there that uh, you mentioned with Wheeler, but you also tagged in Pac and Kanosuke. For those two gentlemen, Pac's been out a little bit, uh, obviously with the injury, so to allow him to reintroduce himself. And Kanosuke to be brought into uh, a large feud and a, a big-time match to be put into that helped spotlight that, get Pac back in some high-profile matches well, being off uh, with his time away. So, and it carries into my next point that you also mentioned, like, for a, a brutal kind of no-holds-barred, almost hardcore-esque match, like, not everybody can or wants to work that style. And there's guys, you know, that are just really talented and technical and can just work strong matches and, and go an hour Broadway, and that's all well and good. And you have the likes of a John who likes to get down and dirty and be that brawler and has shown that he can, once again, can give the violence but also take the violence. So you have that nice mix of you don't necessarily think of like, for example, a Kenny, Kenny Omega, but he and John have had that, those, uh, those hardcore matches, the uh, exploding barbed wire one, the, the one in 2019 where John suplexed Kenny off the ramp into that spider web, 
of a barbed wire. So Kenny, you know, he can show that he can he can go and can deliver in those styles. You don't necessarily think of like, for example, like the Bucks would be like hardcore style thing, but you know, they've threw some spots in there. Kudosuke, we haven't, you know, kind of seen in that piece or Pac, for example, but Wheeler, Wheeler has been an interesting case. He's proved his mocks, uh, no pun intended, to be a part of and to be aligned in the BCC. But a lot of times when it comes to this match, when it came to the 10-man at uh, Forbidden Door and perhaps even Anarchy in the Arena, he always sometimes is the one by default to take a pin or take a submission because you don't want to have potentially a Mox take a pin or submit. You don't want to have your world champion, Claudio Casignoli, take the decision. So the by default, Wheeler ends up sometimes taking the piece of the decision as he did in this match, but kid's been hanging tough, proving his mocks. You don't hear him complaining at all, like on social media or anything like that. You don't hear that. By all accounts, the, the guy is well-liked, so... He's continuing to earn his stripes and, and getting his, you know, his flowers in a sense. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that could have potentially gone wrong in a match like that with maybe guys not being invested or not maybe being able to work a style. But all 10 of these guys within the story, the match delivered, delivered a strong match. These guys really worked their, their asses off and they just really delivered and just made a really amazing match for the fans. Yeah, it was enjoyable. It was definitely enjoyable. Um, like I said, there was a number of camera angles that missed some action um, that I didn't I didn't appreciate. Um, panning away from certain things like suplexes and stuff with like somehow Matt and Yuda were on the ramp at one point and then all of a sudden they were on the ground. Like we could have maybe stuck with that while it happened, but no, we had to go to the ring to miss what just happened there. So fantastic camera angles. Um, other than that, yeah, I can't can't just say good enough things about everybody that uh, partook in the match. I did notice that every once in a while, from time to time. So yeah, maybe it's like you mentioned earlier. It was a bit of there was a lot maybe going in too much too fast, and production was like because they had the in ring or the ring post camera so we had definitely that angle for sure we had two of the guys on the opposite sides basically on the outer rings on uh, in within the cage we had the hard cam as well so and i think we had a, a guy or two on the floor because we had the stuff on the ramp and on the outside so yeah maybe it's just trying to you're trying to like coordinate that from a director standpoint like a lot is going on so they did, however, once or twice catch it like on a replay of sorts. So we were able to kind of catch up on a spot uh, per se. So, but I'd agree if that was maybe the only kind of half criticism, but yeah, it's you live and learn. It's the third time doing it and they'll, I'm sure will do their best to kind of uh, work through those production woes. So, I mean, if that's, if that's kind of what we're complaining about, even if it's not a big snafu, that's, they did an overall good job. I mean, as as for you know, just the overall enjoyment, um, I prefer to have uh, you know replays accentuate what just happened rather than show it show it to me for the first time. 
Uh, whenever you watch a replay, you're supposed to be able to do the slow play-by-play to be like, wow, that actually did happen. So, yeah, it might be a small thing for some people, but I have seen complaints about it. And it, it is a bit of an annoyance for me, especially whenever you're like, continuity like oh they were just on the ramp two seconds ago clearly i just missed like uh a suplex or a suit you know or a ddt off of whatever or you know they could have just walked around and it could have been boring as heck but i don't know that so you know sort it out that's 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 pretty much my only sort of gripe is is the the camera work for this match um that and the fact that Mox left a bloody kiss mark on one of the cameras. No thanks, Mox. Yeah, go to another camera so we can clean the lens. But so long as we don't get hundreds of cuts per minute like uh, WWE does, I am good oh, to yeah. go. So, uh, But yeah, it seems uh, everyone received it for the most part mostly well. But once again, during that match, we saw some inadvertent friendly fire, like we mentioned on Pac from Claudio, which you alluded to before, uh, which caused Pac to walk out on the match and his team. And post-match, Claudio was upset and challenged Pac to a match at, like you mentioned, a Ring of Honor, Death Before Dishonor, which saw Claudio eventually retain over Pac. That also saw in Blood and Guts as well, Don Callis, seeing that the BCC was slowly losing the battle, pulled Takeshita from the match. So Joker, do you see a Pac and or Takeshita as opponents going forward for the Blackpool Combat Club? Um, There might be some instances of we need to get revenge. Um... But I feel like the more important story is between Don and Kenny, and he will try and aim to cash to act the other people related to Kenny to try and hurt them. So my immediate thought is no, not for Takeshita. Um he'll probably be aimed at um anybody else in the golden elite i i I don't actually think there's anybody really needs to be uh hurt right now you know kfa hurt um but i'm sure we'll see something happen with that there pack uh other than his death for dishonor match i don't really see him needing to fight against any in the bc anybody in the bcc um we, we we talked about uh, before we started about how there was a save made at the end of uh, Death Force Honor. Not going to spoil about the save. Um, I, I think that those people uh, could could make um, a little bit of a uh, an attack against uh, the BCC for what happened. But other than that, no, I, I don't I don't understand. I feel like because they're so volatile, the BCC is the hardest people group of people rather um to even consider what to do for their booking run because they're rabid dogs you just let them off the leash and they attack the first thing that gets in their way and that makes sense for them so that's a fair note as well like it could be something that they want to take revenge against apoc or Takeshita for walking out on them it could just as likely be like, uh, we're gonna 
seemingly let it cool and then just kind of randomly interfere in a match or a type of thing. So yeah, it's one of those that you kind of hit it right on the head. The volatile nature of these individuals and the, the nature of the group could uh, could likely go either way. But it's something that could happen potentially in the future. That they want to seek revenge or kind of go off that. So we could or could not, brother, uh, see some matches between these guys. But yeah, should just be interesting uh, to kind of keep that in the back of our minds. But one last note here. At the end of the show, obviously, we saw the Golden Elite prevail over the Blackpool Combat Club's team. But after the show went off the air, we ended up getting a sign of respect uh, shown to them. After AEW Dynamite went off the air, the Golden Elite showed respect to the Blackpool Combat Club by shaking their hands with the arch rivals. Omega then delivered a promo speaking about his respect for the BCC. Quote, I bled, I've sweat, I've cried, I've been maimed. I've got scars that will never heal. But as a wise man once said, I can do this all day. If you don't want this to end here, we can keep this thing going. But I think I speak on behalf of all of us. The Golden Elite respects you. You respect this business. You respect these fans. If you guys want, I'll shorten my career. I'll shorten my life to... Keep this fight alive, but I'm willing to stick my hand out and shake yours if you guys will let bygones be bygones, because love you or hate you, Moxley, love you or hate you, Claudio, love you or hate your ugly ass, referring to Utah, I respect <laughs> each and every one of you. I respect Brian Danderson, who broke his arm for this company, broke his arm for this business. I respect Obushi, who flew for over 24 hours to make it here. I can't let that effort be in vain. You guys want to keep doing it, so help me God, I'll keep doing it. And I'm going to do it with a newfound respect for each and every one of you. I'm going to stick my hand out just this once as a sign of respect because I respect the hell out of you guys. So that was, of course, a promo off-air when the show ended, kayfabe or not. But there was some respect shown to these feuding rivals. So with that said, Joker, do you see this? Does this spell the end for the feud? Or do you see this keep going? That's the end of it. If Kenny's if Kenny sat there saying that, I think that's the end of it. And I, I hope it's the end of it, honestly. Sometimes the BCC feuds go on a little too long. We, of course, mentioned the BCC, the Blackpool Combat Club's feud with the JS last year, seemingly drawing on for months and months at a time through the late spring into the summer. Finally sort of ended around October time when John switched gears and was fighting with Hangman. So the last thing we want to do is drag this thing on uh, for folks to potentially get sick of it, much like we talked about a Brock and Cody or a Judgment Day piece. So... I wouldn't be mad if this ended it, leave them wanting more as opposed to just continuing to feed folks the same go thing. Go away, hate. There we go. So I'm not mad at it if this ends up being the end of the feud. So with that, those are our thoughts on AEW Blood and Guts. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what you thought of the match. 
what your most remembered spot was if there was something that you cringed away from and if you think this spells the end for this particular feud all right so our next and final topic here is the first week week one of the g1 climax 33 from new japan pro wrestling the hot summer has come and gone for these folks and we are into the swing of things with the g1 for those that aren't aware, it's a yearly tournament taking place during the sweltering summer months in Japan. It takes a place over the, from the, usually July to August. This is going to be essentially about seven or so weeks. So we are just looking at the first week or so. Uh, I ended up watching the nights one through four. So most likely next week we'll cover uh, just some matches and this is really just a quick segment to if folks are interested just to highlight some of the things of note or that a uh, joker or myself found uh really interesting and maybe uh suggest a match to watch so in here in night one from july 15th i made note here the shota umino renderita match two young guys just beating each other up not backing down, ended up going to a 20-minute draw, but it was so worth watching these two young guys definitely go to the time limit. So that's definitely a match from night one, if you're interested. Also from night one, Kazuchika Okada defeated the great Okan. Okan oddly dominated the early portion of the match, got a lot of offense on Okada, but ended up... Uh, Okada making a great comeback. It was a smooth back-and-forth sequence to end the match, so that was another fun one. And finally from night one, Tai Chi defeated Will Ospreay in a bit of a surprise. Uh, Will uh, Ospreay himself ended up dealing with uh, some equilibrium issues due to an insiguri that he took to the ear, so that was a bit of the story of the match. So Tai Chi coming away with the win there. Night two from July 16. The Hiroki Goto Toriano, always Toriano, interesting and fun matches. This was definitely fun to watch. Bit of Gaga, bit of comedy early on, but entertaining nonetheless. Uh, so definitely check out that match. Mikey Nichols from TMDK taking on Hanare was just a nasty brawl, which saw Nichols opened up hard way when each guy was going headbutt to headbutt at each other mikey nichols just getting color the hard way it was definitely uh just guys going for broke the uh the guys going for broke on one another but the match ended itself with a nasty looking move on hanare which looked like he landed almost on his head or high on his shoulders it was definitely nasty it ended the match so we see in night four later on hanare making uh, the return to his next match so he just had uh ended up being okay thankfully but yeah it's a little rough to watch the from night two eddie kingston and shingo takagi just beating seven shades out of one another great to see eddie kingston making his g1 debut there uh hiroshi tanahashi looking noticeably slow in his match against zack saber jr you know it's one of those where Tanahashi ended up using a bit more of a ground-based submission this time around to try to counter that style in a Zack Sabre, who is definitely 
a submission expert, but uh, Saber was ultimately able to come away with the win, sticking to his game. And finally, from night two, Evil and Tama Tonga. For those that uh, aren't maybe aware, and this might be a decent match for folks to check out, because this is a bit of a more of a Western, like U.S. style of match. Lots of cheating, lots of interference on behalf of Evil from uh, Dick Togo, uh, and some really kind of good overcoming the odds and baby face fire from a Tamatanga. So if you're interested, definitely check out that one. You'll be able to uh, kind of get into it if you're more tuned with a North American style. So quickly from night three on July 18, the Will Ospreay Yoshihashi match was just incredibly hard hitting. Chops, forearm shivers. Yoshihashi hit a really nasty looking Canadian destroyer. But probably of note, Osprey debuts a new finisher, which he calls the Leap of Faith to win the match. It's a bit of a corkscrew delayed uh, moonsault of a sort. So definitely a cool finisher to add to his arsenal. Um, one last note from night three, during Shota Umino's uh, entrance here. And now this is, I've able to see Shota during night one and three. Saw him at Forbidden Door, so I was able to kind of get a, a you know a, a look at him. It's interesting how I noticed that he's got this quite is this physical look, right? He's his physique. Uh, it definitely has this kind of uh, build that makes you think uh, from his muscularity to the the style of his tights to the hair. Definitely has a, a bit of a Hiroshi Tanahashi look. Yep, he's that's who's being compared to. Yep. And of note, uh, Kevin Kelly on commentary made the quote here, fights like Moxley, looks like Tanahashi, speaks like Naito. So I think that's actually a fair observation kind of on that in a sense. So. That's funny because I believe he's using that quote from someone else who it's kind of failing me. I think it actually, uh, it might be Jushin Thunder Liger who made that, that quote beforehand about, um, about him. Because I had read that before, because I was about to say there's, there's other comparisons as well. Um, it's it's a it's a fair comparison, and I believe Jushin Thunder Liger then goes on to say that that is what makes him a little bit bland because he hasn't got his own style. Uh, so that is what currently he thought about uh, Shooter. I love Shooter for the exact reasons that he that is pointed out with that. But I can definitely see uh, the comparisons, and they are fair to make. Conversely, during night one, when he was uh, when he was facing, who was it? I have it here, uh, Ren Narita. It's interesting how physically, if in just in passing, Shota can look like a young Hiroshi Tanahashi. Ren Narita can be mistakenly passed for a young Shibata. Shibata, yeah. From the haircut to the just the, the planer tights to the style, like it's it's funny how uh, these two younger uh, lads here that are no longer young lions are physically have a passing resemblance to those two gentlemen. But that's the funny thing. Ren Narita was a young lion last year. He was in the G one as the the filler competition. He was there to be part of the tag matches that would supplement these cards. He was also at ringside for a lot of this. 
And I remember watching Ren Narita and watching him do the outside stuff and get into this. And this is going to be an interesting year. Him being in his first G1 um, as as a as a full blooded uh, sort of athlete. Um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see the comparison then between him and Shooter uh, as well because they do have a lot of similarities. Like Shooter is the spit of Tanahashi and Naito for sure, um, and uh, Ren Narita is. I, I, I legitimately myself have mistaken him for Shibata. Uh, so it is a case of, you know, I was excited to see Shibata in the G1 and went, oh, wait, no, it's Ren Narita. Okay. Um, no less excited, but still, it's one of those that uh, these comparisons are going to be made, I think, because they just want to emulate these these guys that they've grown up watching. Yeah, fair play. So on that final note from Night 3, if folks are interested, check out the Sonata and Shota Umino match, because that was just a solid match all around. And then finally, just from night four, I had to make a note, because of course, Brother Joker, the Alex Coughlin and Jeff Cobb match. So, Alex Coughlin. I'll just mention a couple moves that he, that he did on the big boy Jeff Cobb. Coughlin deadlift gut wrench suplexes Cobb. Then he hits an overhead press. Followed up by an overhead belly-to-belly throw on Cobb. And then hits a deadlift back suplex. Alex Coughlin is a big, strong boy. Oh, man. And for folks, again, Jeff Cobb is a big, beefy boy. Thick as the day is long. Guts of over 300 pounds, if you're thinking. So for the likes of an Alex Coughlin to deadlift this big boy of a Jeff Cobb, Definitely interesting. So for that alone, check out the Alex Coughlin and Jeff Cobb match from night four. But that real quick was just some interesting notes from the first week of the G1 Climax that was covering at night one, two, three, and four. So folks are interested uh, based on those suggestions, feel free to check out some of those matches. I was uh, unfortunately sick all of this week, so uh, I will probably go back and watch an awful lot of those, especially uh, Toriano. I do remember watching Toriano last year and his uh, Ring Around the Rosies with uh, with a few of the bigger boys. Uh, so uh, if you want some comedy wrestling, uh, even though you might not be interested in it, definitely check out any Toriano matches for sure. So for sure. So for the next couple of weeks, we're thinking of just kind of throwing uh, just some suggestions or things that we took away from the G1 as it gets into full swing. So we'll uh, we will then show our uh, thoughts on maybe just some matches of suggestions that you folks may want to check out if you have the opportunity. So uh, feel free on New Japan World or any of the Internet Feel free if you'd like to feel so inclined to check out some of those suggestions. All right, so we're going to wind down on out of here. Interesting show for sure. Some more rematches, whether or not we think they are warranted, new champions, whether we think they're deserved or not. Crazy, intense matches, and the tournaments are building up hot. Lots of interesting things on this show, Brother Joker. Yeah, I mean, whenever you're talking about uh, the end of trilogies um, and 
the comeback of the century it seems for like for the judgment day um the judgment day just going from uh us talking about them breaking up and why are they doing this and you know uh to now giving dirty dom well first of all a new epithet for his name he's now dirty dom uh officially and uh giving him a, giving him a title so it's one of those things you look at and you go, okay, these are really weird and wonderful situations. And then, um, you know, yeah, the hilarity that was blood and guts, because if you don't laugh, you cringe, uh, especially at just all these uh, big boys, um, you know, bleeding their out of their eyes practically. So. You love a good comeback story. Judgment Day is just riding high right now. And the interesting note of Blood and Guts, the ring as a canvas, the ring as a tool to paint, whether it's your blood on the mat or to paint a beautiful picture with your move set. It's always interesting when you can get a lot of guys who uh, some folks may or may not think can work well together. But at the end of the day, like we talked about, pulled off a really entertaining and fun match. And by all accounts, there weren't any huge injuries coming out of the match. So good to see everybody is mostly intact, maybe uh, banged up or uh, a little bit of cuts and bruises. But nobody hopefully is out for the foreseeable future. But yeah, like we said, lots of lots of interesting things, entertaining matches, whether that's your flavor or not. Uh, Dom winning the championship which was a surprise folks hating on it folks loving it there's a lot of things we talked about it and piggybacks on last week's episode wrestling is a variety show there's lots of things that you can like or dislike it's going to be different it's going to be a lot of flavors of ice cream may not be for everybody but it's a lot of things to encompass under the umbrella of wrestling and actually this week and in the topics we covered caught a large variety and a large range of what wrestling was this week so i think it makes it sense and it's pretty apropos yeah so like we said lots of things going on but that's gonna do it for us thank you so much for listening and watching so for tf joker thanks so much for watching and make sure you check out the g1 because there's going to be one heck of a tour of the islands absolutely and for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time, letting us be your part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and we will catch you next time. Peace.